you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Be reading from Luke chapter 6 this morning, verses 12 through 26. Luke 6, verses 12 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who would become a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you when you weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. And as you do, if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, John mentioned this morning um, the testimony of a man who was uh, reading through Scripture, and he was reading through the book of Revelation. Um, He did not know that I was going to be opening uh, with mentioning Revelation, but that's how God works sometimes. Um, But in Revelation, we have this great vision that John has of the last days uh, when Christ will come again. And towards the end of of the book of Revelation, he sees this vision of of the great city Jerusalem that will be coming down from heaven, uh, coming down from God. And he describes the the city of Jerusalem uh, coming down from heaven in this way. John says, And he carried me away in the Spirit, to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, 
like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Did you catch that? It has 12 foundations. Now, I have no idea what that's going to look like. I only know a house or a building with one foundation. But uh, this city is going to have 12 foundations. And on those foundations are going to be inscribed the names of the apostles of the Lamb. These special men who were chosen by Christ to be apostles. But we know, in reality, these men aren't special in and of themselves because they had these special qualities. They're special because they were used by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in reality, they're just like you and me. You see, throughout the Bible, God reveals His plan of salvation to us. And obviously, Christ is the center point, is the focus of His plan The life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the promised return of Christ are the most important events in God's plan. But Jesus isn't God's only tool. From the beginning, God purposed and planned to use people, to use disciples, to spread the good news of salvation through faith in Christ. Now, God, being who He is, Obviously, he didn't need to use anything outside of himself to spread the gospel. But God's plan was this, that Jesus would come. That he would come and accomplish salvation, and that ordinary men and women, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would be used to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. You know, think about it. Jesus could have come in a different way. And we've talked about this uh, in great length. He could have come with with a lot of of pomp and circumstance that any coming king would have had. God could have planned to make Jesus' life a a spectacle for for the entire world to take notice of. I mean, imagine what God could have done, in a sense, with the resurrection of Christ. The actual resurrection wasn't witnessed by anyone. The two Roman guards who were there were knocked unconscious by the angel, because they were so afraid. Uh, even um, in, in the song that we sing, In Christ Alone, there's a line that says, Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave, he rose again. God could have made that event so spectacular. Uh, imagine if Hollywood uh, would have produced it. There would be explosions and, and fireworks, uh, an amazing maybe pyrotechnic show uh, light everywhere. Uh, But that wasn't God's plan. Instead, God raises Jesus from the grave rather quietly, rather privately. Uh, He appears to enough people to leave convincing evidence. There's enough witnesses that Jesus was resurrected. And then God calls him back to heaven uh, until his return, which we await. And then on the day of Pentecost, God sends His Holy Spirit to empower His disciples to take the good news of Jesus to Jerusalem, 
to Judea, Judea and Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the earth. God's plan was to accomplish salvation through Christ, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, empower his people to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, one of the things uh, about uh, being the son or daughter of a pastor is that you're always fodder for sermon illustrations. And so um, yesterday, as I was uh, thinking about uh, this message this morning, um, I was not testing my children, but I was noticing how they were acting throughout the day. Because yesterday was the day where we got a lot of yard work done. Uh, we have these large pine trees in our yard. And coming from Georgia, we use a lot of pine straw. Uh, they use it for mulch and things like that. Uh, apparently, that's not done so much here. Uh, it was hard for us to find. But we have these, these pine trees that drop their needles. And so we use that for mulch around our trees. And so we had this big pile, and I was all excited in the morning. We were going to spread this around. Uh, we were using the, the, the riding lawnmower that we have. I thought the kids would be really excited. You know, they love riding on the, on the lawnmower. And uh, the initial, initially there was excitement. Elliot and Oliver were loving it, um, you know, loading up the tractor. They, they love a ride on it. Uh, but then when it got to the actual spreading of it, uh, the, the excitement kind of died down a little bit. Um, Elliot was using a rake like a pitchfork because he wants to be a farmer, and so that was exciting to him. Uh, but after about five minutes uh, of me trying to make this exciting for them, um, they, they said those dreaded words that a dad just doesn't like to hear. Uh, I want to go find mom. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> like she, was, uh, she was doing stuff in the front yard, so they wanted to go see what mom was doing. Well, that's fine. Um, but it, it made me think about what, uh, how God works with us as his disciples, Um, how he uses us, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, he empowers us uh, in the work that he is doing. Uh, Later on in the day, I was building some boxes, we're we're having some raised beds for a garden that we're doing, and so I I was screwing those together, and uh, the kids got up from their nap. And Elliot and Oliver were helping me. They were handing me screws, and that was great. I loved it. Um, that got old after a while, too, and so they were finding other things to do. And so Maddie Grace came down, and I thought, yes, Maddie Grace is going to love to help me because she is very industrious. She loves to help. Well, she sat down right next to me, and she said, Daddy, can I watch you? I was like, oh, yeah, I would love it if you could help, but you can certainly watch me. That is, that is okay. And I, I found great delight in that. Um, could I have done all that work on my own yesterday? Yeah. Um, sometimes when small children work with you, um, it makes the work more difficult. Uh, it is frustrating. Um, but there's the joy of doing it together. And I, I saw God um, teaching me that it's like uh, us in the spread of the gospel in how he uses us. Uh, to uh, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, to join him in his work. These 12 men that Jesus chose on that day were critical in God's plan. They were the bedrock. Uh, And so it was important for Jesus to choose the right men as they were spreading the gospel. So he spends the whole night in prayer to his Father. And on the next morning, as his disciples all gather... He chooses from among their number 12 men who would be apostles. Apostles meaning those who are sent. 
and you know their names. We've met some of them already. There's two sets of brothers who are fishermen. There's Peter and Andrew, James and John. There's Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, formerly known as Levi, who we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the tax collector, Thomas, who is the famous Doubting Thomas, James, the son of Elpheus, Simon, who is a religious zealot, and two Judases, one the son of James and Judas Iscariot, who, as Luke says, later would be a traitor. Uh, One quick note on Judas. Um, God wasn't making a mistake there. Um, He is listed last, but it's not like God didn't know what he was doing. Um, God didn't look back and then say to Jesus, whoops, sorry about that one. You know, that one was a mistake. We probably shouldn't have included him in the twelve. No, the selection of Judas was very deliberate. And it was used for God's glory and for the salvation of the world. You know, this group of twelve men, they became Jesus' closest disciples. They spent the next three years of their lives with him, eating, sleeping, drinking, learning, um, doing miracles with Jesus. Uh, They had their faults, Um, but I think we often paint them as kind of a bunch of of circus clowns, kind of like, you know, these three stooges uh, or these twelve stooges. Um, They were simply ordinary men. There wasn't anything special about them. They were simply like you and like me. They were very ordinary. And that should give us great hope. Because God chose to use ordinary individuals, ordinary people like these 12 apostles, like you and me, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. We have this great privilege of being included in God's plan. That he chose us to play a vital role in the spread of the gospel. We don't do it on our own, obviously. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. But God allows us to to approach his divine workbench, in a sense, to to swing some hammers, to drive in some nails. He finds great joy in allowing us to join him in his work rather than simply keeping us at an arm's length. He finds great joy in wrapping his hand around ours as we grip that hammer. Um, And he is always working in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, guiding and directing us in all that we do for His glory. You see, when God calls us uh, as His disciples, He calls us into an intimate relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He calls us into a relationship. And He calls us to life with Him. And this life is a life of blessing. So on this first day on the job, as Jesus calls these disciples... Uh, There's a great multitude. There's a huge crowd that is following Jesus. And Jesus, as he typically does, he shows them his power. He is there to heal, to drive out demons, to drive out evil spirits. And once again, he's using these miracles to prove, to give proof as to who he is. That he is the Son of God. And then as he looks out at his disciples, he shares with them the blessings of of the life of a disciple of Christ. Now, when we typically start a new job, uh, we're told of the benefits that we have of working you know, in that environment or working with that company. Uh, we're told our salary. 
uh, the, I don't know, the insurance benefits, things like that. Uh, what a great company this is to work for. It's going to be a great environment. You know, we're, we're told the benefits that we have here in this position. Well, Jesus tells them the benefits that they will have as disciples of Christ. And it goes something like this. He says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. He says, Blessed are you when you're hungry, for you shall be satisfied. But woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. He says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. But woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. He says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil uh, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you when all men or all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. As we read these, these statements of Jesus, we can kind of break them down into four categories. He's talking about money and possessions. He's talking about food, uh, entertainment, amusement, and reputation. And as Jesus so often does, what he does, he just completely turns them on their heads in relation to how the world views them. As a disciple of Christ, we view these things in a completely and in an utterly different light. You know what the world would say. They would say, blessed are the rich for what they have uh, are the things that we desire. The nice houses, the fancy cars, all the latest toys. And not only that, they have this financial security for the future. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor and woe to the rich because the world and all its treasures are passing away, but the kingdom of God stands forever. The world would say, blessed are those who have enough to eat. Because they are satisfied and content. But Jesus says, blessed are the hungry and woe to the well-fed. Because hungering and thirsting for God is more important than being satisfied with food. The world would say, blessed are those who laugh. Because it is a joy to be entertained, to be amused. But Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And woe to those who laugh. Because entertainment is fleeting Amusement always comes to an end, but the joy of the Lord stands forever. And the world would say, you know, blessed are those who are are well spoken of, who have a great reputation, who are well liked. But Jesus says, blessed are those who are reviled on behalf of the Son of Man, and woe to those who are spoken well of. Christianity in many ways is paradoxical. The way up is the way down. Those who are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Uh, There is a a book of prayers that I refer to on a regular basis called the Valley of Vision. And it's a book of Puritan prayers, these uh, Puritans who who have prayed, honestly, these, these very rich, deep, and meaningful prayers. And the first one is called the Valley of Vision. And it, it, it strikes me as this, this paradox of the Christian life. And I'm going to read this prayer for you. It says, Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision. 
where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells, and the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, and thy glory in my valley. So when we read this passage this morning and we we hear a prayer like that, and we know that the Christian life is that way, that the way to heaven is the way down uh, in ourselves. Does this that mean then that because I'm rich that, that I'm not a disciple of Christ? Uh, does that, uh, or because that I'm well fed and I spend time laughing uh, that I'm not really a disciple of Jesus? Or if I have a great reputation and people look up to me, uh, does that mean that I'm really not a follower of Christ? Um, I, I, I read this and I get defensive. And I feel like uh, a lot of you would feel the same way. Uh, compared to the rest of the world, uh, these, uh, these things describe us. Because we are well off. We are well fed. We are well entertained. Uh, we're generally well thought of. Uh, this is why we need to take these warnings of Jesus so very seriously. Jesus warns his disciples regarding these things because he knows what happens to those who live lives of relative ease and comfort. We begin to get complacent. We begin to be prideful. We have this self-reliance. We get attached to our stuff and to our lifestyle, to our entertainment, to our enjoyment, and our allegiance to Christ now has to compete with all these other things in our lives. Uh, There's a story that I read this past week, uh, the story of a duck. Uh, A duck that was flying across England, or across Europe in the springtime. And along the way, the duck settled in a barnyard where tame ducks were being fed corn every day. He intended to stay for only an hour, but there was so much good food that he decided to stay for the day, which became a week and finally became the whole summer. Next autumn, he heard a flock of wild ducks pass overhead, and when he heard their wild call, he flapped his wings and rose to join them. But by this time, he had gotten so fat that no matter how much he struggled, he failed to get any higher than the roof of the barn. So he dropped back down to the ground, and he settled in for the winter. The next time the duck heard the call of the wild, he lifted his head excitedly, but he couldn't even get off the ground. Eventually, he became so satisfied with his life in the barnyard that he didn't notice the wild ducks at all. I think that tale is a warning to us. Jesus warns 
how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say that it's impossible, but he says that it is very difficult. And honestly, wouldn't we categorize ourselves as rich? We need to take these warnings of Jesus very seriously because he is talking to us. They're not for someone else, some other people. These warnings are for us, for you and for me. Could it be that the status that we enjoy is more of a hindrance to our faith in Christ than a help? Could it be that the comforts that we enjoy detract from truly relying on Christ? Because the more that we have, the, rest, the less that we rely on the Lord, the less we see our need of Him. The Gospel is this. It's the good news that we are more sinful than we ever dared to imagine, but we are more loved by God through Christ than we ever dared to hope. It's the good news that Jesus Christ took our sins upon himself. He took our punishment on our behalf. It's the good news that our greatest need has already been fulfilled in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gospel is the good news that Christ is not dead, as we celebrated last week, but he is alive. And because he is alive, we too will be raised with him. It's the good news that this, this mere vapor of a life is not all that there is. Instead, this life is preparing us for the life to come. As we live this life, we need to live with a full view of the future. Because there's coming a day when there will not be categories of rich and poor anymore. There will not be those who are well-fed and those who are hungry. There will not be differences between those who are laughing and those who are mourning or well-thought-of and those who are reviled. Instead, those who are in Christ, we will all share in the riches of God's kingdom. Those who are in Christ will all feast at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Those who are in Christ will have their mourning turned into dancing, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And those who are in Christ will see each other as we truly are, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So the question this morning is not, are you blessed? But it is, do we have faith in Christ? Because Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is calling us as his disciples. Let us surrender our lives to Jesus so that we may truly be blessed and live. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father, thank you for using us in your plan of salvation, that we have the privilege of being used by the power of the Holy Spirit to work with you. We know that you have already accomplished salvation for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And now you are using us to spread the gospel. And I pray that you would use us in mighty and in powerful ways. Lord, we know that because of your Son's death and resurrection, we truly are blessed. Because our greatest need has been taken care of, and that is our sin. Lord, I pray that we would understand that the way up is the way down. That we would serve you in humility. That we would serve you 
Lord, knowing that we can surrender our lives to You. Lord, we thank You for these warnings that You have given to us. I pray that You would be the most desirable thing in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name.